Farmers have ad advantageous tax status, and our speaker today is Gord Tate. But I would like to remind you of the meeting for next week, which will be at the same time, same place. The topic being, is there a critical shortage of first responders in rural Alberta? Our speaker will be George Porter, who is working with EMS in Calgary. And the moderator will be Penny Elford. So I hope you're able to come and partake in that topic next week. And I would now invite Gord Tate to come back to the microphone. And questions are over here. I see we already have one person at the mic, so that's wonderful. Let's commence. Double fisting. I'm Hi. Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you very much, Gordon. That was absolutely fascinating. Um, we had no idea of all the uh, ingrained prejudice within the uh, income tax system against the Hutterian brethren. So thank you for giving us that insight. Thank you. Um, one question that came up at our table was, um, since the income tax, income tax started in 1917 in Canada, and this particular um, way of taxing, tax, the taxation on the Hutterite farms started, um, that particular program started in the 70s. What happened in between 17 and the 70s in terms of taxation on the Hutterites? Oh, that's a good question. And the second question is, you mentioned that communal groups would fit into this and that you didn't know to date any other communal groups that were um, under that auspices and I'm wondering about groups like uh, Bountiful. Okay, those are two questions I can address them both. Thank you. Excellent questions. I didn't, did everybody hear them? If, I'll repeat them quickly in my answer but the first one was uh, many of us know that the Income Tax Act was originally the uh, War Measures Act and it was originally developed to be a temporary tax so that they could uh, collect uh, mm -hmm. I think it's that, that temporary has gotten pretty long, hasn't it? But uh, it was originally, the Income Tax Act was originally intended to fund the war. Um, prior to, there's a, there's a bit of a history. Obviously, when Hutterites first came to Canada in 1917, uh, the, uh, the operations were much different than they are today. But from 1917 till 1951, uh, there was a corporate tax. And they filed, just like uh, many, many other organizations. Um, in 1951 the Hatterian Brethren Church was officially recognized by the Parliament of Canada. So it was actually uh, recognized officially by an act of Parliament in 1951. And so there was a period for a few years between 1951 and 1961 where they filed as a church. Now, um, in 19, that's where the Carter Commission came in in 1961 and said, we've got to look at these farming profits. Now, one of the things we have to remember about that interim period from between 1951 and 1961, um, most of the uh, farming organizations that exist today would have had as much income in a day than what they were having in 1951. So income tax wasn't a massive issue at that time. Uh, I've seen many Hutterite colony record books from the early 60s and their total gross income was like $100,000 for the year. Uh, so it wasn't certainly the kind of massive impact that it is today. So uh, they filed. Um, as a corporation, then there was a brief period of time where they filed as a church, and then starting in 1961, they've paid tax basically the same way they're paying tax today. 
hope that addresses that question. Now, when it comes to, uh, I could better, don't get me started on the whole bountiful thing, but um, if, if any, <laughs> if you ever want to Google Section 143, which I, that's the beauty of Google now, everybody's got an income tax act at their, uh, at their disposal. There are very specific provisions in Oh, 143 sub 4, I think, D. But so I, th I think 143 sub 4 describes a com what, what they call a congregation. And there are four specific tests that need to be met in order to be a congregation that falls under this section. Um, live and work together, the members of whom own no property of any kind in their own right. And that's, there's specific parts of that definition that significantly restrict this. There's absolutely no question Section 143 was there to tax Hutterites. It, it was only developed for that. They just don't use the word Hutterite. But Bountiful does not file, I can guarantee you, because there was a famous court case on that, uh, they do not file under Section 143. Does that answer your question? Okay. Knut. My name is Knut Peterson. Thanks very much for coming, Gord. It uh, took a little bit of a few trials and tribulations <laughs> to get you here because of the Senate hearing, I guess. <clears throat> My question relates to uh, municipal taxation. Uh, how, are they, how are the colonies taxed in terms of, I know the land is probably taxed as anybody else, but how about the buildings and the, and the and all the infrastructure put up uh, to, to house people and stuff like that. How, how, how is that taxed uh, municipally? Okay, that's a great question, Knut. Thank you. Um, I, I, won't, I won't stand up here and profess to be a municipal tax expert, but I do know the issues quite well. And uh, um, there's a couple of key things, I think, when we look at municipal tax that, that create some, some challenges for the Hutterites. And most importantly is their homes. And uh, a number of years ago in the, in the province of Alberta, in order to, I, we understand, in order to avoid people who are building massive homes on acreages and then perhaps building more than one home on an acreage, uh, the government of Alberta came in with some rules to limit the number of exemptions that you can get on any quarter of land. So the unfortunate part for municipal tax is the Hutterite colony will have, in John's case or in many cases, typically they will build four eightplexes, enough for 32 families. Out of those 32 families, they get one exemption. They pay full property tax on all the rest of their homes. So they get, I would suggest, quite severely penalized municipally for, their, uh, for the assessment on their, on their homes. And as you have some people in the room that might be able to answer better than me, but Kings Lake just built new homes. So they got a massive increase on their property tax bill. Uh, how much more did it go up, John? 45000 on their home quarter. So uh, they pay a very uh, large municipal tax penalty because they choose to live on the same quarter of land, um, which I believe, quite frankly, is to some degree unfair. Uh, uh, they pay full property tax on anything that's not agriculture. Just like every other farmer, any of their agriculture-related stuff is, I think, zero-rated still. Um, but they're included on that, though. They still pay their relative share for the school taxes, but every colony builds its own school and pays for all the costs of that school. And I don't think many of the rest of us do that. And so when it comes, they pay their taxes to fund that, but they don't get any of it back, and they pay their teacher. So if they don't have the students necessary in the, in the, in the community, the colony has to make up the difference to any, so, so that school absolutely at a Hutterite colony 
operates essentially to fund all the other schools that are public schools in the area that are not Hutter 8 colony schools. So they have to pay if there's a deficit. So uh, I think from a municipal perspective, they more than pay their fair share. It's a great question, Knut. Thank you. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. Thank you for your presentation. I, I found it highly educational. I particularly appreciated your PowerPoint presentation, which the audience was able to read. My, that <laughs> comment is directed equally to Cyprus management. That was very good. My, my in your presentation, you mentioned the help that you're getting from several senators. You didn't mention, mention our members of parliament. This is a national issue, and I wonder whether you have been getting any help from our members of parliament. Thank you for that question. Um, again, I, I'll, be, I'll be somewhat conscious of the time. Um, unfortunately, uh, politics being politics, <laughs> and we have a liberal government, uh, there's not a lot of liberal uh, MPs. I can say we got a, a tremendous amount of help right out of the gate from a liberal, liberal MP by the name of Kent Hare in Calgary. And then Kent's been in the news recently for some of the reasons he'd rather not be. But uh, Kent was an incredible assist to us. He was a champion. He, uh, he made sure that our issue got attention in Ottawa immediately. Um, unfortunately, we've done, we have reached out to local members of parliament. Um, Rachel Harder is somebody we've spoken with, and, and I know, John, you've met with Rachel. And, and unfortunately, when it comes to party politics, partisan politics, is I think one of the challenges has been getting conservatives to take the lead on it. Um, but we have had some help from some liberal MPs. Uh, nowhere near the amount of uh, progress, though, that we've been able to get through the Senate. And I guess the, the Senate has certainly proven to be a very valuable uh, uh, tool in our toolkit. Um, we did present to the House of Commons Finance Committee um, back in 2016, uh, but unfortunately they cho chose not to make a, uh, they, they mentioned us in their report, but didn't make a recommendation to the Minister of Finance. However, as I said yesterday, we, do, we have now made relatively good progress in the Minister of Finance's office and are hoping that, that we'll make some, some positive change. But it is a challenge when we've got a national issue that sometimes gets clouded by parties and power and those types of things. But I guess that's what comes along with our political system, isn't it? One of the senators, uh, the, the senator, the, Senator Mockler, that we met with a few times in, uh, in, in Ottawa, as it was taking us so long, he kind of just said, that's democracy, <laughs> and it's a, it's a challenge. Yep. To Terry Shillington, uh, thank you very much for your presentation, really factual, and I share with Trevor a delight in actually be, being able to read the slides. <laughs> um, just an aside question, but do Hutterites vote? Uh, the question, yeah, then you, I've got it answered, yeah, some. Uh, and it, it's an interesting... Uh, it's an interesting challenge that we've come across. And again, I'll try and limit my answer a bit, but uh, it's funny how that question gets asked, and yet how many people in Canada vote? Maybe 50% of it? Like, you know, like, so let's not be too quick to pick out any one group and say, well, what about, did the Catholics vote or did the Mennonites vote? And yet, obviously, uh, Hutterites do have a, and I'm not being critical, I hope, when you understand when I make that answer. I'm trying to be respectful. But many Hutterites have uh, made that move over the last number of years to be a little bit more... Uh, involved, uh, not only politically, provincially, or federally. They're very, very involved in uh, producer boards, dairy boards, chicken boards. Uh, uh, I saw for your topic for next week with, uh, with rural help in the emergency. 
We've got a couple guys right here. They're on volunteer fire department and ambulance in, in the county of Formos. So, because um, that's what you need in rural economy, in rural areas, you need to, you need some close by uh, responders. So, um, it's a long wordy answer, but I think the answer is no way. Eh? The answer is about, the answer is some do. Yes, absolutely, some do. Some okay. do. Probably, I would, I, I, I hate to use numbers, but I would guess probably. Close to half. The many, much more common today than it was 10 years ago. That moderator, that was my, my short question. Oh, but, okay, sorry. sorry. Um, the, the, the question that emerges at our table, and perhaps it's a nosy question, but uh, curiosity around the fact that I think occasionally uh, Hutterite colonies go broke. Uh, that was the statement. And, uh, and usually when non-Hutterites uh, run into financial difficulties because we buy too many toys and uh, too long holidays and... So uh, how could that be that uh, something that operates in such a thrifty fashion w would have financial difficulties? Great question. Thank you, Terry. Uh, the question was about the financial strength and financial health of colonies and whether or not perhaps sometimes they go broke. Um, in my history uh, and, and my knowledge, there's one or two colonies that have essentially, um, fair to say, I don't even wouldn't say went broke. Uh, there was a colony up near Hardesty a number of years ago. Uh, I, it would be a stretch to call that a Hutterite colony uh, at the time. Uh, there's some people at Brockett here recently that I think dispersed. Um, but most Hutterite, there's been very, very, very few Hutterite colony failures. And the biggest reason, quite frankly, right now that puts a massive financial burden on Hutterites, and I'll, I'll probably give you a lot longer answer than maybe you're looking for, but many, many, as you may be aware, when a colony gets to be about 120 to 130 people, uh, they, they get to a point where, A, it's very difficult to keep everybody busy, and, and so uh, uh, they want to make sure that everybody has gameful, good, solid employment. And it also gets hard to stay unified under the leadership and management of any, any group. If anybody's ever interested in a book called Turning Point by Malcolm Gladwell, he mentioned specifically how to write colonies and how once you kind of get past 150, it sometimes is hard to keep a group unified. Um, but regardless, the financial challenge required now to form a new colony and split, which is what's referred to when, when a Hutterite colony gets to 130, 140 members, they will buy a new farm, reestablish a new Hutterite colony, and then split the membership between the minister and the first minister and various people on the colony. Um, the financial burden to reestablish fine land quota, buildings, barns, shops, it's a massive financial obligation. And, and that sometimes creates big debt, and sometimes colonies that are in financial difficulties because they've, they've, they've leveraged and financed and used debt to, to acquire assets. And farming is a difficult business, and it doesn't take sometimes more than a few bad years to cause financial hardship. Now, at the same time, the community does try and help each other out, but there are limits to that help because many, many colonies struggle financially, Many do well. They're like any other business in Canada. Some do well, some not so well, and a bunch in between. So I hope that addresses it a little bit. But there's a significant amount of debt amongst, amongst uh, colonies trying to achieve these when it comes to building and acquiring a new colony. Hi. Lauren Fitch, thank you for the myth busting. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, a a two-part question. With your experience with Hutterite colonies across the Prairie provinces, to what degree are they involved in non-agricultural pursuits like manufacturing? And mm -hmm. does that have a different tax implication? Great question. Um, and yes, uh, uh, based a lot on the economics that I just talked about, uh, 
um, many colonies in the last, uh, I, would, I would say, in, in Alberta, in southern Alberta, it's probably a relatively recent phenomenon in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, if you looked in Manitoba, uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, many, many of the colonies uh, started developing uh, fairly significant non-agricultural operations, manufacturing, woodworking. Um, there's a colony in Manitoba that builds fire trucks, manufactures fire trucks. Um, massive shops, welding. Um, John's Colony at Kings Lake Colony, they have a prefab wall business. They also have a rotational molding company. So uh, part of its economics, the, the supply management, and I know that's been a topic uh, of, of Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs, supply management has been a foundation for many, many colonies uh, financially to both financially and operationally over the last 30 years. That's a massive risk today, uh, both politically and financially. Um, and so colonies have found the need to expand into manufacturing and, uh, and fabrication um, and processing. And from a tax perspective, A, because it's not a farming operation, it's not taxed under the same rules as farming, but it is taxed under the same structure. So they, pay, they suffer the same, the same challenges from an income tax perspective. From a municipal tax perspective, anything that's non-agriculture, they obviously pay full property taxes on it, um, and they pay, uh, they pay all those assessments. Those, those operations do bring with them another challenge, and again, we could use another, another whole session on that, but then there be, it creates challenges with regards to labor and employment standards, and uh, all of those issues, the WCB and other things that come along with it, uh, when they're truly a, a family farm organization. So Bill 6 and all of those things have been interesting challenges for the, for the Hutterite community as well over the last couple of years. But I hope that got close to answering your question. Thank you. Uh, my name is Barb Phillips, and thank you again for a very informative presentation because I think we are all neighbors in southern Alberta and we need to know about each other. So excellent. Mine, you just touched on a little bit, so I, uh, if you don't mind, although it's not federal, it is Bill 6, which I believe uh, in 2015 mm -hmm. the colonies were exempt from Bill 6. I may not be totally correct there. But in any case, I would just like you to comment, did the colonies or have representation at the consultations that have been taking place since Bill 6 was uh, made into law in Alberta and uh, are they uh, working with occupational health and safety issues in partnership with the Alberta government? Great question, thank you. Um, I, I, I keep referring to my friend John. You, you know when you've got good people, you tap their shoulder very, very often when you need help. <laughs> in line of that question, both John and I both sat on separate committees for, uh, for Bill 6. So I was on one committee and uh, John represented the community on another committee. Hutterites were not exempt from Bill 6, but as a result of the education piece that we were able to conduct as, uh, as that legislation was coming into place, Hutterite colonies are subject to the exact same rules as every other family farm. Hutterites didn't want an exemption on Bill 6 because it would just create another topic for confusion and myths and saying all oh, those Hutterites, they don't do this. Um, so it was one of the things they didn't want was a specific exemption. Um, they clearly strongly believe in occupational health and safety. Um, Hutterite community in southern Alberta is working really, really closely and has for a number of years with the Raymond, uh, help me with the name of the organization, Raymond, all about Farm Safety Council, uh, I think it's called the Farm Safety Council. Uh, uh, many, many of the individuals at Hutterite Colonies are well-trained in, in uh, occupational health, safety. Um, some Hutterite Colonies, in fact, have non-Hutterite employees. 
obviously completely subject to all the labor legislation because in some of the shops they have non-colony members because of the, the type of work that needs to get done and they follow all the rules for wor workers' compensation and, uh, and occupational health and safety as well in those shops. So no special rules there and no special exemptions. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, okay. Logan, I'd just like to thank you very much for enlightening a lot of us who are very ignorant of discriminatory practice and I've often wondered how things went. I, there's the one thing that, I know it's off topic a little bit, but I'm curious about schools and the education system and how well the children are integrating with society on completion of their education. Okay. Um, I will, I'll, I'll deal with that one a little bit delicately, but uh, thank you. The question was regarding public education. Um, I can, I'll, 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 get, I'll tell a bit of a story and I'll start back in, Hutterites were the first people to ever have kindergarten, school for little children, back in the 1600s. So uh, Hutterite children begin kindergarten and begin an education process and learning to speak German. Actually, most of them by the time they get to grade one, they can speak three languages. So it's pretty incredible. Um, but they start with the kindergarten and then they go to also to what they refer to as German school, which is largely learning their German, but also learning their religious foundation. And so most young, many young kids at Hutterite colonies that are under the age of six don't speak English yet. They're just learning English, and they learn English when they go to public school uh, in grade one. So it's a little bit of the history of kind of how that education system starts. Hutterites clearly believe the most valuable thing is lifelong learning. But they go to public school. Each colony has a public school on their colony with, a, with an Alberta education certified teacher and or teachers and teacher's aides depending on the needs of the of the colony school. Uh, those those students uh, attend school until the age of 15, which for many of them is grade 8, sometimes grade 9, uh, in public school. And then the, it's the traditional Hutterite belief that that's when their, uh, their lifelong learning starts. Many of the young people then get exposed to the various trades, get exposed to the various operations on their colony. It's become much more common amongst some of the conferences. I mentioned that there are different conferences. There's the Laralite Conference, the Darius Light, and the Schmiedelite. Among some of the conferences, there's some differences with regards to education. If you took the Schmiedelite people in Manitoba, many Schmiedelite people will actually go to university, become teachers, certified through university, and come back and teach on their colony schools in Manitoba. So there's some different... Uh, philosophical beliefs on, on further education and whether that makes people too worldly, and I'm not here to, to give a religious uh, uh, seminar, but uh, there are different, certainly, opinions with regards to that. But uh, Hutterites believe in, in a strong system of lifelong learning that starts with the educational foundation that they get in school and then uh, uh, really begins when they, when they enter sort of their day-to-day -day, uh, practices. Does that get close? You're welcome. <coughs> Hello. Yeah, like, I'd also like to thank you for this marvelous uh, presentation. Uh, I'm Eric Muskamp. Uh, I'm president of the Farm Workers Union of Alberta, and I'd, I'd like to point out that Hutterites are exempt from the regulations in Bill 6, the Enhanced Protection for Farm and Ranch Workers Act. They are exempt uh, under the family farm exemption. That means they are exempt from mandatory WCB payments. They're also exempt from the Occupational Health and Safety Act, uh, child labor standards, and all the other labor standards. My organization is calling on Hutterites to voluntarily take up WCB coverage for their agricultural operations, even though they are exempt. Now, we believe that that is proper to do because exempt farm workers that are injured 
have their costs paid by their neighbors, by the Alberta health care system. WCB reimburses uh, health care costs for injured farm workers. Additionally, we believe that Hutterites are overrepresented in uh, injury and illness and fatalities in the agriculture sector, and that their involvement with WCB... Uh, is there a question here, or is this yes, a statement? That's a statement. My I, question no, that, I'd like, I, I can address the can, questions. Can you, it's not uh, time for you, you to make a political statement, sir. The call for Hutterites to voluntarily take up WCB coverage for their agricultural operations. Let me, let me clarify first and foremost by trying to answer the first question. Hutterite colonies are not exempt from Bill 6. They are not. They are subject to the exact same rules as every other family farm. That answer is definite and it is clear. Yes. And Secondly, that, oh, when it comes to injuries and WCB, and believe me, I'm again, I'm not an expert on that area, but I have some knowledge. <laughs> A Hutterite colony, the, the fundamental purpose of WCB, and I'm not here to have a lecture about WCB, is to make people make sure that people are looked after, that their family can be looked after if there's an injury at work, and that, that they can get quickly, hopefully, cured, rehabilitated, and back into the workforce. Hutterite colonies take that financial responsibility upon themselves. They do not ask anyone else to do it. They do not need WCB for their family members, just like any other family farm, is clearly subject to not having WCB. If you own your own business, you do not have, you can opt out as a director, you can opt out as an owner. WC, the Hutterite colonies look after their members and every single one of their needs for their entire family, for their entire lives. They've actually been doing it for 500 years and I would suggest you've been doing a very good job of it and a much better job perhaps than our government can do. So. I'm sorry, sir. Don't come here on an income tax issue to make a political statement about Hutterites. Political and I think I addressed your issues. Sure. And this is not your political platform. If you have one, find it somewhere else. So Please. I take it you do not support our call? That I believe Hutterite colonies are subject to the rules of the WCB. We will deal with the government of Alberta. We will deal with Bill 6 and the legislation, not necessarily the Farm Workers Union, which has a different agenda and a different platform and you're free to you're free to work on that platform but but Hutterites do a wonderful job of looking after all of the needs of all of their members and they are not exempt from bill 6 and I don't I'm offended Just that you the want to come here that are can, contained there within Th their Th legislation much, covers every right. family farm every yes, family farm right. the, the word Hutterite farm is exempted from the, bill 6 that's an actual sir, fact sir. the sir, word Hutterite is in there but this, they are this from the isn't the time for Thank that you. Thanks. Sorry, sir. I'm asking you to take your seat. And if you'd like, sir, come back with Bill 6 and point out where the word Hutterite appears. Because it does not. So thank you. No, it doesn't. Uh, next question, please. Okay, the next question has to do with what you were explaining to us about <clears throat> Hutterites having to, that only the male Hutterites over age 18 who are married would pay taxes on their family income. So my question is in regard to CPP and OAS. So would this mean, first, do Hutterites pay into CPP? Would they get CPP? Would it mean that only the male, male adults would get CPP and not the women? And what about OAS? Great question, thank you. Um, 
Canada Pension Plan. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of our time, but can, the Canada Pension Plan, um, I guess I'm old enough to at least know that, that when, the, when the Canada Pension Plan started, um, everyone in Canada had to participate. The Hutterites, in fact, went to the government and said, we don't believe in taking anything from the government. We don't want any benefits from the government. Um, uh, but the government said at this point in time, that everybody needs to pay in for the first five years. We need to start collecting. So um, for the first five years, Hutterites did contribute to the Canada Pension Plan. And over many years, actually just tried to get their contributions back after uh, this was 20 or 30 years later as, a, as the system had been well developed. In the meantime, uh, every individual Hutterite would sign a, what's called a Canada Pension Plan exemption form based on their religious beliefs. And so they do not take um, Canada Pension Plan and uh, they do not have to pay employment, uh, Canada Pension Plan on their self-employment earnings because they file this specific form that's just a religious exemption. So uh, they do take OAS. That's something that's changed a lot over the last 25 or 30 years as the government has continued to integrate programs in the tax system, into the income tax system. So uh, there still are some colonies who don't take any of those programs of any kind whatsoever, but uh, OAS is something that uh, the colonies will take. Does that get close to answering your question? Uh, male and female. And now we're actually obviously fighting for, it was in 1998 that the government allowed a half share <laughs> to go to a, a married lady at a Hutterite colony. We're, the things that we're fighting for in Ottawa right now is to just do away with that formula and allow it to be the same allocation, the same rules that every other taxpayer is subject to is exactly what we're fighting for. Fairness, 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 nothing better. Obviously, absolutely nothing advantageous, but trying to at least be taxed fairly and, and the same as every other, uh, the other Canadian. Uh, this will be our last question. And just to thank you, Gord, that was a wonderful presentation, much appreciated. To the gentleman from Kings Lake, thank you for coming. I've always been very welcomed at any colony I visited. They've sat me down at the table, fed me, shown me around and given me tours, and I really appreciate that. I hope you will come back and feel as welcome here again sometime. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And thank you very much, Gord. That My was pleasure. very informative. Thank you.